Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. And we're coming to you from the Kodo of the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. the Dharma Realm podcast for March 18th, 2011, and today we talk about America, Buddhism, and individualism. So recently uh, I went to the BCA National Council meeting, which is our annual uh, gathering of all the ministers and uh, to all the representatives from all the temples and the uh, BCA leadership, like the president and those kinds of people. And uh, at all these, every time we have these meetings, there's an opening service or, or a service at some point uh, each day. And uh, so they usually ask the retired ministers to do a Dharma talk. And so uh, one of the Dharma talks that I heard over the weekend or, or you know, during this week uh, was about uh, Buddhism and America. And he was, uh, I think it was Reverend uh, Masabayashi, who was previously Rimban in um, Seattle and now over in New York City. Uh, and he was talking about an article that he read from somewhere earlier, and I don't remember who it was, uh, but looking at some of the aspects of America and how Buddhism matches those really well. Uh, so I thought it was, it was kind of interesting. Uh, the, one of the things, the points that he came up with was individualism, right? That America is about uh, individualism and that this matches Buddhism. So I was like, wow, okay. I don't remember what he said after that. <laughs> But um, I thought it was kind of, I think I was probably thinking, oh, we got to do a podcast. And I was emailing Scott, you know, during the talk probably. Um, but it was, you know, kind of interesting. Okay, that's in, that kind of counterintuitive, I think, at first, mm-hmm. right? To, to, to talk about uh, individualism and uh, use Buddhism in the same breath. Uh, and it, uh, so we want to talk about that a little bit today and some other topics. Um, I think it raises an important question. Okay. Um, what, what is individualism? Right, right. I mean, I think, I think when you say it seems counterintuitive, my first thought goes to, well, Buddhism is all about interdependence. So mm-hmm. we're all interconnected. Um, then you throw in the doctrine of no self, and then there's like, well, there is no individual. So there's all this sort of philosophical stuff floating around. But then I have to stop and say, well, what, do you, what, is, what does it mean to say that, or, or what does uh, the... Uh, the speaker mean by individualism and I can't answer that (laughs) (laughs) but I think we can tease some of that stuff out I think another um, critique maybe would be uh, the idea of ego Mm -hmm. and uh, the ego being viewed uh, very often as kind of a negative thing in Buddhism right that the point isn't to uh, the point is to try and get the ego out of the way uh, and recognize when the ego is intruding Uh, so so yeah um, Like I say, counterintuitive. Um, what What are your ideas of if you thought about America and individualism? Do you have any ideas on that? I mean, it seems like an emphasis on the individual, huh? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I think that America is all about the individual. Sure. I I don't disagree with that. I think that America American culture is dominated by ideas of 
um, the self and the importance of the individual self. Um, you know, bookstores have whole sections for self-help, for God's sake. So right, right. clearly we, we're sort of obsessed with these ideas of who we are, um, I think largely as individuals. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't know what that means. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I think that my ideas of the individual self are, are so muddled and, and muddied now because of, of my years of studying Buddhism that it's hard for me to tease out uh, my own ideas of the self versus what I think an ordinary non-Buddhist American might think of mm-hmm. the individual being. Mm-hmm. Um, n- nevertheless, I think you can also make a good critique of the the dangers of b- sort of being self-obsessed, right? Um, from a non-Buddhist point of view, too, I think that if we spend too much time thinking about ourselves separate from other people, we you know get into narcissism and mm-hmm. uh, selfishness and whatnot, and that has its own sort of dangers. So. It's interesting too to hear somebody say, "Oh, America's about you know the individual and not sort of say that in an un, uh, uncomplicated way, right? Unproblematic, right? Sort of <laughs> assuming that it's a good thing." And, but maybe maybe we should pause and 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 question whether or not you know be critical, as we often say, mm-hmm. in a positive way of whether or not being thinking about the individual is a good thing or not, mm-hmm. from a Buddhist perspective or not. I think it's it's sort of worthwhile. Right, 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 right. I think uh, often I think we think of the American individualism, maybe from a Buddhist point of view, we criticize it, we're yeah. critical of it. Yeah. Uh, it's all about me, right? That it seems to um, kind of recommend that, right? That, that American society seems to be, like you say, kind of obsessed with the self and, and the importance, how it's important. I'm important. You know, I, I shouldn't have to worry about other people. I'm me. Mm-hmm. Right, and I'm just going to be me. I shouldn't have to f- change myself for somebody else. Right, we we have these kind of images of yeah, of yeah, the yeah. kind of uh, self importance uh, that it seems like America often American culture often recommends. Yeah, and uh, you can see reflections of that in in the media and and pop culture really well. I mean, how many you know how many uh, reality TV shows or or celebrity people out there? It's like you know all that. That's just totally ego. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's you know I want to be famous and, and mm-hmm. whatnot and. The winning. <laughs> oh no, Charlie Sheen invaded our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, so maybe it's a good thing to critique this, but <laughs> but I think there are positive ideas too. Um, the one that popped into my head: self determination. Mm-hmm. Right? Isn't mm-hmm. that where's that from? <laughs> Constitution, Declaration of Independence. I forget. <laughs> yeah, it's in there. It's it's definitely part. I mean, it's part of a you know generalized Euro-American Enlightenment era philosophy, mm-hmm. self-determination, absolutely. And so I, you know, I can't deny self-determination's importance in American culture, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, several people who I admire and think are you know great thinkers and and, and leaders uh, uh, in the last century have talked about self-determination, and mm-hmm. you know. I'm all for it, but at the same time, I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but maybe I mean, in, in thinking about this uh, this topic, since you emailed me, um, uh, one of the things that's sort of rattling in my head, I think, is that it's also a question of the middle path, right? Um, mm-hmm. We, you know, being uh, interested in the self, you can either go totally into narcissism or you can completely deny the self, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the two extremes, and I don't think that. We necessarily have to uh, reject this notion of the individual or the importance of self-determination um, 
because then you go into that other extreme of completely denying it. And I think it's, it's probably better to sort of look at the, the, the middle path there, right, and sort of find a, a way between those extremes. Mm-hmm. Be one way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's, yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, uh, for background for this episode, we could direct people to the, I think we had an episode on, on self and no self, and uh, it's a complex area of Buddhist doctrine and philosophy and psychology, I think, if um, you go deeply into the no-self thing. And I don't think, like you say, it's not a denial of some kind of self, mm-hmm. some kind of provisional self. There appear to be selves. There appear to be individuals walking around. Uh, and we're not denying that. Uh, and I think it's important to dialogue with maybe American ideas of self and American ideas of, of the individual. Right. Uh, yeah. Dialogue, that's a good word. Yeah. I want to support that. <laughs> Well, one area where I think that actually it kind of resonates uh, with me, this idea talking about the individual and the, maybe the importance of the individual in Buddhism that seems to be what's not quite right. There's something seems funny about that, right? Uh, but uh, Shinran has a really interesting uh, state. Uh, it's not, well, yeah, it's him saying it, but it's reported in Tanisho mm-hmm. uh, by Yuyen. Tanisho is this text uh, compiled by one of Shinran's acquaintances or followers uh, after Shinran passed away uh, because he's worried that people ha- are misunderstanding the teaching, so he wants to write down uh, stuff that uh, he remembers Shinran saying. So he says, uh, so the Yuyen says, the master would often say, so he's reporting what Shinran said. And then Shinran says, when I considered deeply the vow of Amida, which rose from five kalpas of profound thought, I realized it was entirely for the sake of myself alone. Uh, then how I'm filled with gratitude for the primal vow in which Amida resolved to save me, though I am burdened with such heavy karma. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, see, I've, <laughs> <laughs> see, I've seen this passage. I think you can use it in all different kinds of ways. Uh, but uh, so we'll once again when I consider deeply the vow of Amida Buddha I realize it was entirely for the sake of myself alone mm-hmm. uh, so, so, so but what, why, why is Yuan quoting that it's this is in the postscript this is in the end uh-huh. right and so he's kind of uh, concluding uh, oh it's interesting so he goes on Yuan then says Reflecting now once more on this expression of Shinran's inmost thoughts, I find that it does not differ in the least from those precious words of Shandao. Uh-huh. Know yourself to be, and this is Shandao now, know yourself to be a foolish being of karmic evil caught in birth and death, ever sinking and ever wandering in transmigration from innumerable kalpas in the past with never a condition that would lead to emancipation. And then Yuyan then says, Thus how grateful I feel for Shinran's words, in which he gives himself as an example in order to make us realize we are in delusion knowing nothing at all of the depths of our karmic evil or the vastness of Amida Buddha's benevolence. So, wow, see, that's, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a lot in my head right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the reason I asked about the sort of larger context is that I, I, I hear things like those quotes and I always want to understand the context that they're in because it's easy to sort of take that quote out of context and say, oh, Shinra's talking about X. Um, 
But as soon as you say, you know, reflecting on Amita's vow and karmic burden and whatnot, I'm reminded that Shinran's writing from within a, a much larger philosophical tradition, mm-hmm. and he's bringing all of that to bear when he's he's making or reportedly making this statement, right? So he's bringing all that stuff with him. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me like maybe he's talking about the individual and himself, but but he's also in this uh, larger worldview, right? He's, he's, his thoughts are being influenced by certain ideas about rebirth, certain ideas about the nature of the Pure Land or Amida, and we sort of have to contend with all of that too. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's big, it's heavy, it's mm-hmm. complicated. I've, you know, I would hear, find this phrase and um, hear it in Dharma talks, find it, you know, it would get referenced while I was at IBS, mm-hmm. and you know, my reaction was similar, where um, I think, I'm, what is he talking about? You know, it's really kind of weird, yeah. almost, right? It's like, why, for myself alone, isn't Buddhism for all sentient beings? Isn't the vow being made for all beings, not for, like, one person? Right, right but see, then it's interesting, because Yuan goes on to quote Shandao, right? Mm-hmm. And then Yuan says, how grateful we are that Shinran came here to remind us of our own karma. Mm-hmm. The way that's set up, it almost sounds to me, it sounds, th- this is this is totally off the top of my head, so... Mm-hmm. Don't quote me. <laughs> Are you recording this? Um, so it reminds me very much of how Shinran says that this, the, you know, there's this idea that the only reason the Buddha appears in the world is to teach the Yamita Sutra, right? Mm-hmm. Or the larger teach sutra. The primal vow. The primal vow. Um, the only reason that, should, that Shakyamuni comes into the world is to give this teaching of uh, Pure Land Buddhism. Um, I see a parallel there with what Yuan is saying about Shinran, that Shinran's appearance in this world is to teach us about our own karma, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. From that point of view, maybe the primal vow is only for Shinran in order for us to learn Mm -hmm. about our own karmic burden. Mm -hmm. There's complex philosophy there. I don't even know how to Mm -hmm. unpack that, but I don't know. It's interesting. It's really interesting. See, I've come... I've... um also in my studies and, you know, um, building up to becoming a minister and continued studies as a minister and uh, just, you know, being in uh, these temple communities. And uh, I think in one way I can understand a certain individualism Mm -hmm. because the only work that I can do is myself, right? Uh, I can't go around judging other people, judging people's actions, uh, I mean, on a certain level, you know, if somebody goes and kills 50 people or something, I can kind of judge that, right? That's not <laughs> what I'm, I'm talking about, the extreme cases, I'm talking more just like kind of every day, right? And that um, it's not about other people in a way, other people's practice, judging other people's intention. Right? The only real work I can do is myself, my own actions, mm-hmm. looking at my own intentions, uh, and I just kind of see this again and again uh, in Buddhism. Um, I was th- on Facebook. Somebody posted something from uh, a Lama, Tibetan Lama, about you know um, enemies, and that we should be thankful for enemies. They give us a chance uh, to uh, reflect on ourselves. They give us a chance. You know, I forget the exact words, but it was kind of interesting. You know, it was like, oh yeah, this interesting language from this culture that has a big enemy, China. Yeah. Right. But they won't. Um, or some of them, Dalai Lama, this um, Lama, won't uh, give in to hatred, won't give in to branding this other as an enemy. Mm -hmm. And says, no, these are our teachers. 
right? They, they, um, they're uh, my Dharma friends. Um, and so then the work has to be me, in, inside me. The, the, the um, spiritual practice has to be about me and my life. Of course, it's related to how I act with other people. It's related to being in a community. Uh, but I'm beginning to see it as extremely subjective. And we've talked about this a little bit recently, uh, I think in the, the 3,000 Worlds in a single, single Thought Moment episode, and right that um, I'm beginning to see the problem with um, being too objective, quote-unquote, like trying to look down from above and say, well, is Buddhism working? Is reincarnation working? You know, um, what, does this person have Xinjiang? You know, all these questions that we ask in a kind of hypothetical way. Uh, but I think it's problematic to view those objectively, from an objective viewpoint, to think that I can stand from above and uh, objectively view a situation and determine what's going on. Uh, and so to me, uh, this passage is maybe... Uh, Shinran at the ultimate existential subjective viewpoint mm -hmm. that he can only talk about himself that he can only uh, it, it, it is in a way about him it's all about him it's all about me in yeah, a way yeah, yeah. He's only, he, can only talk, he can only comment on his own yeah. karmic burden he can't comment on yours right right. Uh, and, uh, and the depth of seeing oneself Right? That I can't run, to just say around, we're all foolish beings, it's okay, we're saved. I mean, you know, in one sense you say it, but in another sense it's like it's up to each person to find that for themselves. Mm -hmm. Just to be told that, you're evil, but don't worry, Amida will save you. It's kind of like, okay, someone told me I'm evil, so I know I'm saved, great. That doesn't sound, you know, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's that it has to be this subjective, existential... Uh, Crisis almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that gets thrown over to Shandao in the Yuan. You know, it's kind of it's interesting how Yuan brings up the passage from the um, mm -hmm. two kinds of deep mind, two kinds of deep entrusting, uh, entrusting in Dharma, entrusting in the nature of sentient beings. But it's really the nature of myself. Uh, so, so there, um, I think I can uh, reconcile the individualism with Buddhism here, uh, recognizing. Uh, my individualism, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, but it's rather than viewing individualism as some kind of God-given right, uh, and you know that um, I have, to, I should be able to do whatever I want. I'm an individual. It's more like a responsibility. It's a, it's an indi responsibility of individualism to be responsible for my life, right. uh, to 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 do the hard work, uh, to 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 look at myself, look at how I interact with other people in the outside world, other beings, other individuals. Uh, but but that it puts the, the spotlight squarely on me in my own life, in my own practice. See, and this is where the dialogue comes in handy. Because mm -hmm. uh, th this way that you're describing individualism from a, a, a Buddhist practice point of view seems very, 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 very different to me from uh, American ideas of individualism. Mm -hmm. So I think that the Buddhism actually has something to offer. Because mm -hmm. when you were talking about the, the Tibetan situation, you know, you're talking about how you know there are these individuals who refuse to give in to hate and refuse to judge and and you know I'm I'm totally on board with all of that and then I look at the way many people in in our culture talk about themselves and it's in a very judgmental kind of way mm -hmm. it's in a very self-centered sort of way and in a very mm -hmm. sort of um I need to do this and I don't really care about what you're doing mm -hmm. um sort of 
way. So it, to, to me, it seems like we need to reconcile the importance of responsibility and individual practice with our connection to other sentient beings, as you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, that that dialogue that we need to have with American culture is, is much is, is sorely needed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to to not put too put a, a fine a point on it. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to go too far with this idea yeah, yeah, of yeah. the the individual aspect of Buddhism, uh, because it could turn into just sitting on a cushion and meditating, uh, and that's your and practice. Being totally and concerned then, with the world. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and not caring about how you treat other people when you're not on the cushion. Yeah, right? yeah. or uh, you know. Again, again, as those extremes, right? Yeah, it's like we got to right? find that balance between our own sense of self and our own work and our own practice, and then balance that with the external world, and mm-hmm. balance that with other people and their individuality and their own practice, and, and not in a judging or harsh way, but you know, a compassionate, mindful way. Mm-hmm. There's a thought. Hey, <laughs> what a concept! <laughs> Where'd that come from? <laughs> um. I think that uh, another thing that's been kind of uh, influencing uh, my thoughts on this are recent, uh, we're back to Seven Masters with Vasubandhu. <laughs> and uh, Vasubandhu is known for his relationship with Yogacara, also known as Chitta Matra, uh, mind only or consciousness only, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very, very difficult doctrine, uh, a very, very interesting but difficult kind of um, idea. and. <clears throat> It basically says that everything exists in mind only, that all existence is a projection of the mind. And it's not, it's not clear sometimes, is it individual minds or is it some kind of cosmic mind? Um, but it seems to be really uh, questioning, quote unquote, objective reality. Right? Is there an objective reality out there that I'm perceiving? And that because of my mind, I perceive it in a certain way? Or is it denying the reality of an objective reality? And so one way to think of it, I think, is the, the um, interesting expression. Uh, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? Right? I just remember, I don't know where I've heard that, just in <laughs> high school or something, you know, like um, some kind of philosophy class or something. But I didn't take philosophy classes, so I'm not sure where I heard it. Um, but, you know, this kind of... It's like a mind game, right? Um, it's, I think, it's in a Simpsons episode. Okay, that, no, but this is before <laughs> Simpsons. I'm old enough to remember a world without the Simpsons. So, um, so it's kind of interesting in one way. I think a lot of uh, scientists would just poo-poo it, right? Obviously, it makes a sound. Sound is uh, uh, air, right? Being um, you know, air waves being compressed and, you know, that we can look at this objective reality and that objectively things are happening. Well, yeah, but no, that, I, don't, I don't know if science would nope. necessarily disprove that. I mean, because sound is, is, sound is perception. I mean, uh, sound requires a, a hearer. But the, but the, well, the, the waves the, moving. The airways are with, moving, but they're not necessarily reacting to anything. Uh, interesting. I mean, if nobody's perceiving them, then I think this question still remains. Okay, okay. I mean, but it's in a different way. It's in a different way. Think, I mean, right? the science would say what is sound, and, and it would be hard to disentangle physical organs from the question of what is sound. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But anyway. Mm-hmm. So we could question it, but I think it wouldn't deny that something's happening, whether yeah, someone's there yeah. or not. 
Yeah, it, it would still it would still posit that there is a, a physical there world some and something event is happening, happening and events right? is happening and, yeah. and air is moving and, and yeah. waves are happening and whatnot. Yeah, because I think we could take it further um, from the consciousness only say and, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to perceive the tree, is there a tree? Right? I mean, it, it, this consciousness only thing would seem to be taking it uh, even further than that and really questioning objective reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people would find that, I know some people find that almost completely ridiculous, if not offensive and stupid. <laughs> Why would you question something that we can test? Right? That, that science and, and uh, um, scientific method and observation would just shows us, no, there's stuff out there. There is material reality, uh-huh. right? Um, but, but one thing I think of that maybe is influenced by this is Rashomon um, by Kurosawa, the Japanese famous Japanese film. Um, it's actually a book originally by Kutagawa, and um, I don't want to give it away necessarily, but it's something seems to have happened. There was an event, and then the film and the book are reports of this event, and every report is completely different. Every single report, there's like five or six reports. There's even a ghost, um, a medium channels the ghost of one of the participants, and they give a totally completely different view of what happened, right? So that, and you know, it's not like, um, oh, uh, I thought he was nice to me, but he was mean to me or something. No, it's like completely different. So that would seem to be questioning. Like the blind man and the elephant. Could be, could be, but there's still an elephant there. You know, this is like going yeah, yeah, beyond yeah. the existence of the elephant, uh-huh. right? Um, it's, it's questioning, was there an objective reality? Was something that really happened and everyone misperceived it, right? That's what the white man, I mean, the blind man and the, the white man and the elephant, <laughs> the blind man and the elephant would seem to be there is some true reality and people are misperceiving it. Uh-huh. Or was there some true reality or was, is it only existing in the perception of the people? Yeah. Um, so, so you said I think earlier we can go that, too far that, with it. To, you said earlier that this whole notion um, that people would be offended by it. Right, 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 right. I had, no, I had a scientist in one of my study classes uh-huh. at church, and he got mad yeah, when I, I think, brought this up. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm getting offended. <laughs> <laughs> there is an objective reality here. <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. But know. I don't think I don't we know. have to take it that far. Yeah, yeah. Um, to the um, questioning objective reality. Um, I think it plays into this subjective experience kind of question mm-hmm. and the issue of the subjectivity uh, of, of myself and recognizing that uh, in Buddhism and recognizing that every experience I have is colored by my perception. Sure, sure. It's colored by my uh, karmic background, my psychological background, my genetics, right? And that I see things in a certain way. Uh, and it kind of uh, maybe points that out uh, is, a, is a way to, to uh, as a corrective to the arrogance of thinking, no, obviously I'm seeing what I'm seeing and you can't tell me otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I hear people say that. No, I know what they're thinking. I know that they were judging me. Okay, <laughs> I don't think so. I think that a lot of, you know, what we experience uh, in the world is really colored by uh, who I am, what yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I totally, I totally agree with you. I'm, 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 I'm very attached to the idea of there being a physical world. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I absolutely agree with you that that 
that the way that we perceive the world is completely almost totally made up in our own minds <laughs> in some sense. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm there with you. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Another convert. <laughs> but I still want there to be a, a physical reality that we are, are, are embedded in. You know, mm-hmm. I, a second ago you said you, that your perceptions are colored by your your experience and your karma and your genetic makeup. And I thought, well, yeah, your genetic makeup. There's there's a physical form, you know, a collection of elements, a collection mm-hmm. of you know chemistry and electrons that are you know coursing through our physical bodies that create this thing that I conveniently label Scott that perceives the world. But you know, Scott and the world don't really exist. They just are a collection of atoms and chemicals. Mm-hmm. Is what I want to believe. I could yeah, be yeah, totally keep wrong. Believing that. <laughs> if it works for you, well, it does work for me. And I think on a, on a, on a practical level, at some point, we kind of have to say, like, well, you know, if if we really buy into this consciousness only, and then everything is completely, you know, in the mind only, then then you know, why bother going to work? I mean, you know, at some point, you have to sort of like say, okay, <laughs> just you know, to get through the day. <laughs> right, right, right. I have to believe a convenient lie. Even and I'm probably misrepresenting consciousness only to a certain extent, uh, if not to a great extent. Uh, yeah, yeah you've been into it pretty deep lately. So yeah, 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 I've been trying to read this stuff. It's really hard. Uh, there's not a lot on it. Fortunately, there's a few texts that have been translated. Uh, Ackerman, I think, is one, and Cook um, is another, and they've yeah. translated some of Vasubandhu's texts. And uh, it's difficult stuff. Uh, but it's kind of fun to play with sometimes, you know, to, to kind of look into uh, and to find... You know, what does it, does it help at all? Does, yeah. Can I uh, incorporate this into my life? Uh, and so what I've taken out of it is that uh, recognizing the importance of the subjective viewpoint, right, recognizing right, right, the importance right. of the existential kind of viewpoint, uh, recognizing uh, how much perception and uh, experience colors, or how much our perception is colored by uh who we are and where we come from, uh, and being willing to question that. Um, again, the critical thing, and I think that Buddhism is very critical uh, in, the, in the sense of taking things apart and questioning what we at first take for granted or that appears obvious, right? And that that's the time to, uh, that's when the warning bells should go off. And then we say, aha, uh-huh, well, what tools do I have? Uh, am I just going to, you know, I think I think Buddhism gives a lot of interesting tools yeah, to yeah. to que- ask questions, you know. Um, right on. All right, consciousness only. Um, <laughs> so I think we're going to continue our uh, discussion of Buddhism in America. Uh, today we talked about uh, individualism, and somehow we got to Vasubandhu and consciousness only, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> so next time I think we're going to talk a bit about freedom. <laughs>